Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. All right, Acts chapter 1 is where we would like to begin the message today. Acts 1, verse 9. This is the moment when Jesus is ascending. It's after the death, burial, and resurrection and before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them who were wearing white apparel We might assume they were angels who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, or we would say the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, which is approximately one quarter of a mile. When they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord and prayer in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And from this very dramatic moment and passage, I would like to present a message to you entitled, When We Break Out, God Breaks In. When you break out, God breaks in. How many knows that this is the biblical pattern? Amen. When we take one step, then God takes a step. He said, draw near to me, you first, then I will draw near to you. When we break out, God breaks in and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Would you imagine or at least try to imagine for a moment that you knew nothing about Christianity? What if we were living just like animals? No hope, no faith, no values, no codes of conduct. What if we knew nothing about Christianity? Just wipe the slate clean. Any Bible, any faith, not really understanding what God was up to. And what if God spoke to us as a church today? What if Jesus walked in here physically and he called us? To launch his church. What if we didn't know anything about church? The church, a church. And of course, we all understand at the Life Church, we don't go to church. This building is not the church. It's a building where the church gathers. But when the church leaves this building, the church is going, if there's 400 here today or 350, we're all going to be the church wherever that is. If we are obedient to his gospel and following Jesus. So that's my my best effort, as poor as it is, to sort of get our minds around this moment when Jesus is ascending into heaven. And the disciples who had gathered there, I guess, were staring for quite a while. It was long enough for Jesus to say, All right, you two angels. Tell him to get down there and do what I just told him to do. Get to Jerusalem. They must have been staring quite a while. And have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't just, you know, vanish like he did going in and out of that room, you know, after his resurrection? I think I think he wanted them to see him go. He was going up like an elevator. He was going up like an elevator in a cloud. That's pretty spectacular. That's pretty cool. (laughs) 
I think it says something about God's personality. And why didn't he vanish? And, and why did he let them see where he was going? You know, his elevator was going up. It wasn't going down into the earth. It was going up. And Jesus wanted them to see the direction he was going. And the angel said, why are you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which has been taken up from you to heaven, will so come in like manner. He went up slowly. He's coming back. He said, I'm coming quickly, but he's going to come in a cloud. Praise God. And so he wanted the disciples to see where he was going and he wanted to make an indelible impression so that they would never forget it. And so now the angels snapped them out of it and they start walking back to Jerusalem. Now, what are they supposed to do? They're, they're supposed to start the church. They're supposed to organize. They're supposed to, you know, what we would do, you know, hang a sign out and, you know, go get a building and, you know, have finishing strong and, <laughs> and you know, raise money. And no, they didn't do any of that. They didn't do any of that. In fact, did you know that the first dedicated Christian house of worship was not even built until the mid third century? Over 200 years after Christianity began. And I think sometimes as wonderful as a building is, are we on the mission? Believe me, I thank God for this house of worship, all 48,000 square feet. We're trying to do whatever we can. We're, we're trying to, to have ministry. There's ministry here on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, sometimes Fridays and Saturdays, and of course on Sunday. And, and we thank God for all of that. But I'm going to tell you something. Not everything that God wants to do is happening in here. Not everything that God wants to do in your life and through your life has to happen in here. We don't have to go to places to meet God. God will meet us wherever we are, wherever you cry out to him, wherever you call out to him, wherever you gather in his name. Jesus said, I'm going to be there. He didn't isolate it to an address. Come on, shake your hand at me if you know what I'm talking about today. Praise God. Let me know if you've ever had an experience with God beyond the walls of this building where God's ever answered your prayer, where God's ever moved in. Hallelujah. The worst thing that could ever happen to Christianity is when we box God in and assign him to an address. In our case, it would be 10400. You know, it occurred to me the other day, even if God wanted to call us, the phone number we got on the front door is wrong. That sort of blessed me. And we're, we're changing it. We, we don't, that's 737-2670. We've had that since Noah came off the ark. <laughs> and we don't have that landline anymore. So anyway, we're, work, we're working on I didn't notice it <laughs> this week. So we're working on it. But it sort of blessed me. I'm like, oh yeah, God still got our number. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. So I guess what I'm saying today is those early believers had to figure some things out. You know, this was not a church plant. This was the church plant. Jesus left them no training manual, no 10 step program, how to build a church, no weekly classes for training, no Bible college, no professors, no consultants. What would you do? What would you do? I'll tell you what they did when you read the Acts narrative. They obeyed Jesus. Turn to somebody say they obeyed Jesus. They focused on Jesus. Turn to somebody else say they focused on Jesus. They weren't worried about catechisms. They weren't worried about. Now I know the Bible said they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and in prayer. They had they had disciplines. They had a plan. 
But I'm, I'm thinking in my limited view of the first century, you know, what were they coming up with? Well, the first thing they did was just obey the Lord. They went back to Jerusalem. They go back to this room where they were staying that we call the upper room because the text calls it that. And, and they started praying and they were together for seven to 10 days. And, and uh, they, you know, the lot fell on uh, one of two that they had picked out that qualified to replace Judas, who was the Lord's betrayer. And, and then as they're praying, Somewhere between seven and 10 days, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And here's what I want us to think about. When they, when the Holy Ghost came, let me ask somebody a question today. If you've ever been filled with the Holy Spirit, does it come with a feeling? Yeah, I think it does. I think, you know, spirits have a personality. And there's not a better personality of any spirit than God's spirit. And when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they're speaking with tongues, do you know what I think they were perhaps thinking? This feels just like Jesus. Huh? When I feel the Holy Ghost, when I speak with tongues, when I'm in the presence of God, I feel what I believe to be Jesus. They, they, they weren't, when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, listen to this, they were not filled with one third of God. They, they weren't filled with a separate conscious personality of God called the Holy Spirit. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. When you study John chapter 14, and I want you to get this because this is important to what we're talking about today. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Can I make it a little more plain? If you love me, obey me. <laughs> if you love me, obey me. What is God's love language to us? He suffered and bled and died on the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's his love language to us. What is our love language to God? Obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper. Okay, look out now. Who is that helper and who's sending it? And when that helper comes, how will we know it's the right one that he may abide with you forever? Who's the one that's coming to abide? The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you. Jesus is saying this during his ministry and will be in you. So when I ask you a question when the Holy Spirit comes who was the Holy Spirit what will the Holy Spirit feel like what will the Holy Spirit act like what will the Holy Spirit what will be the constitution of the Holy Spirit and in verse 18 Jesus answers the question he said I will not leave you like orphans but I'm the one that's coming to you when you are filled with the Holy Spirit you are simply filled with the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit Spirit is not a person of God. It is not a personality of God, but it's simply the biblical way of God saying, this is what I'm like when I'm moving. This is what I'm like when I'm taking action. This is what I'm like when I'm stepping on the scene. Hallelujah. When you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you get the Holy Ghost, you get Jesus. It feels like Jesus. And when the disciples are being filled with the Holy Spirit, they're like, we saw him go up in a cloud, but is he still here? <sighs> He's still here. And let's take it a little bit further. We know that Jesus was the ultimate rabbi. The greatest teacher the world has ever seen. He trained disciples for three years. He spends thousands of hours modeling the behavior he wanted reproduced in them. All of these questions I asked at the beginning, they're really irrelevant. You know, what are we going to do? What's it going to look like? What's the church going to look like? All they had to do was just follow Jesus. If you don't know what else to do to be the church, just 
Make sure it sounds like Jesus. Make sure it looks like Jesus. Make sure it acts like Jesus. The Bible said, let God be true and every man a liar. Make sure that your attitude, your conversation, your behavior, how you treat people, amen, how you present people, how you walk in this world and live in our community, make sure it smacks of Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Acts 1.1, the former treatise, Luke said, have I made, O Theophilus, He's referring to the gospel of Luke. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. (laughs) Jesus is our rabbi. And those disciples that followed him for some three years. One author suggested that when disciples followed their rabbis up and down the dusty trails of Judea, they were collecting the dust of their master's feet, which is a, a idiomatic language for becoming like him. And when Jesus said, and for example, in Matthew 9, 9, follow me, what was he, was he saying, uh, you know, hang out with me and you eat a lot of free miraculous food like loaves and fishes and you'll get the front row seat and the coolest show on earth. It's really going to be fun. We're going to have a blast. It's going to be cool. We're going to hang out and and it's going to be amazing. No, 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 no. When Jesus said, follow me, he was saying, look like me. Act like me. Talk to people like I talk to people. Come on, somebody. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. Follow me. I'm bringing you into my close proximity. I want to rub off on you. Have you ever hung out with somebody they rubbed off on you? Yeah, that can be a good thing and a not so good thing. (laughs) And people impress you. As a young preacher, there was older preachers that I was attracted to and 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 uh, uh, somebody one time said, man, when you preach, you sound like your pastor. Well, there's a lot worse people to sound like than my pastor. <laughs> and let me just say to any young preacher here, I'm not the greatest preacher in the world, but there's a lot worse people you can preach like than me. So until you figure it out, you know, pay attention. I'll be 65 next month. I can say now whatever I want to say. Praise God. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus said, follow me. He's saying, do what I do. Hang out with me. And then he said in John 14, 12, and guess what, guys? It's not going to be too much longer. The things that I'm doing, you're going to do. You're going to do stuff just like I'm doing stuff. You're going to open blinded eyes and you're going to lay hands and the lame are going to walk and, and, and peop, devils are going to be cast out. And in fact, he, in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, he sent out the 70 by two. It was sort of a trial run. It was sort of a, let's see if this thing's really going to work. And, and they come back rejoicing, Lord, devils were cast out and they were subject to the name of Jesus. And, and Jesus said, hey, that's great. But let me tell you, something that's better than that. Let me tell you the real reason to rejoice. Rejoice not because devils are subject to you, but because your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm, am I preaching to Jesus people here today? Am I be preaching to people that are following Jesus? And if he did it, we can do it. And if he was like it, we can be like it. And he is the goal. Paul said, I press toward the mark. He wasn't talking about religion. He wasn't talking about a church building. He said, I press toward the mark. That's Greek Olympic training language. I'm straining like a trained Olympic athlete for the finish line. And I'm going to tell you something. I am not the finish line. I don't have anything to hide. I'm not ashamed or embarrassed about my private life or my public life. You can examine me as closely as you want to. I'm all over YouTube. Go ahead. I've never posted anything of myself, but it's all out there. But I'm going to tell you something. I am not the goal. I am not even the pastor of this church. I am the under pastor. There's only one church and there's only one pastor. Pastor. 
because I didn't I didn't bleed for this church. I didn't suffer for this church. I didn't lay my life down for this church. Sometimes it feels like I have, but I really have not. There's only one church and there's only one pastor and Jesus Christ is his name. At best, I'm an under shepherd. So let me say to you, like Paul said to his disciples, follow me as I follow Christ. If I stop following Christ, then stop following me. But if I'm following Christ, then praise God, hook up your wagon and let's go and let's be the church and let's be what God has called us to be. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Everybody say, follow me. How good of a job did they do? Well, we have a little clue. Acts chapter four, verse 13. The disciples the, the lame man in Acts 3 had been healed. It shook the city. Everybody knew about the lame guy. Now he's walking and leaping and he's praising God. And it shook everything up. And so the, the religious leaders call in Peter and John and they warn them. They rebuke them. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned, and untrained men, that means they didn't come up through the rabbinical schools that perhaps the Pharisees had. And they didn't have, you know, the, the, the paperwork on the wall of their office. In fact, they didn't even have an office. They had an abandoned boat <laughs> down by the pier. But they, if you don't think they weren't qualified and they realized and they marveled that they had been with Jesus. I can just hear the priest saying, didn't we kill Jesus? Didn't we get rid of Jesus? We should have we let, you know, let him live because there's just one of him. Now we got two more just like him. One was hard enough to deal with. Now we got two more just like him. Oh, I wish I could live to see the day. Amen. When somebody would say about me, amen, not for my glory, but for the glory of God. You know what? Stan Gleason, when I'm around you, I feel like I'm around Jesus. When I hear you talk, I feel like Jesus is talking. When I see your attitude, I feel like Jesus, amen, is speaking. Amen. What would happen if every one of us would get a vision and get a revelation of who Jesus is? If he would come to you, if he would reveal his nature, if the Holy Spirit in you would really be let out, amen, if you would break through so that God can break in. If you would break out of who you are, he will break in with who he is. Praise God. Amen. Our spiritual theme this year is building a New Testament church. And I'm asking myself questions as I read the book of Acts again and again and again, slowly. Really just one chapter a day, but very slow. And over and over again. And I'm on my second way, second time through, if that tells you how slow, there's only 28 chapters. And I'm asking myself questions and I'm studying the first century church and I keep asking the same questions like, what should the real church look like? What would a New Testament church look like in a 21st century context? And how should that church act? And how should the people that call themselves a part of that church talk and walk? And what would ministry look like? And what would the mission look like? And I have to tell you that some groups historically started out with Jesus, but they ended up with something else. And that cannot happen to us. That cannot happen to us. They started out with an experience. They ended up with perhaps religion. I always had trouble with the word religion in my definition of it. A good definition of religion is a specific fundamental set of beliefs and practices generally agreed upon by a number of persons or sects. And that's a good definition of religion. 
nothing wrong with it. But when I think of religion, I think of a man-made presentation of God that falls short of representing an accurate, an accurate picture of the God of the Bible. I think of something that is far less than what God had in mind, something cut and dried and boring and rigid and programmed and stuffy and, and predictable. I tend to think of an institutionalized brand of Christianity that is far removed from what God envisioned from the foundation of the world when he was the lamb slain for the church. I think of, I guess because we don't have any, stained glass and high ornate lecterns. And that's why I told our, our architect, I don't want a high platform. I want it as low as possible. That's aesthetically as low as possible because I don't believe in a hierarchy. I don't believe in big King Tut preachers and little know nothing, do nothing church members. It's not apostolic. It's not what God called the church to be. I'm looking at what the Bible calls a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a peculiar people. Do you know what I've been trying to do the last 10 years as the pastor of this church? I've been trying to put the ministry back in the hands of where it belongs. Amen. It's time for some of us to stop coming in here and doing our 90 minutes of liturgy and it having no impact on our life. And we think about no lost people and we're not trying to impact anyone. We don't have any desire to make disciples because we think we're introverted. You know, that's for the Gary Morgan of the world and he can't be here today because his grandson getting baptized and we're happy about that. Let me tell you something. Making disciples doesn't have anything to do with your temperament. It has something, everything to do with your obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. And if you love me, get a cross. And if you love me, die out to yourself. Lose your life if you love me. Give away your calendar. Give away your checkbook. Give away your bank account to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, I said it. There you are. There it is. Ah. Jesus was up against religion in the first century. It was a very religious spirit that Jesus confronted. In fact, it was a religious spirit that crucified him. Jesus entered the fray of the first century religious doxa, or we could say the conversation. The climate was set by the 70 Sanhedrin. <laughs> they were a political machine that was comprised of theologically diverse factions including Pharisees and Sadducees. There were synagogues, which were local community centers of worship modeled after the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was the center of religious activity. The Jews community reveled in their history. We have Abraham to our father was their, was their fallback line whenever they were threatened. And Moses was their prophet and the patriarchs was their pedigree and they were satisfied and content and comfortable and thought they had all the answers and yet they were still living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. The ancient rabbis developed the oral law and wrote down their commentary and their interpretations of Torah and what we now call the Mishnah, which means a study by repetition. The Mishnah was the first written collection of Jewish oral traditions based on Torah and it contained some 800 English written pages, which exceeded the size of the Bible and uh, expounded on 613 orders, rules and expectations when God really just gave them 10 original, but it wasn't enough for them. And what God says is never enough for the spirit of religion. They were all about keeping Torah until Messiah came. When Messiah came, he was living right under their noses and they missed the time of their visitation. And so in Luke chapter 19, we get a graphic unfolding of Palm Sunday and Jesus is 
riding into Jerusalem and there's spontaneity. There's, there's prophecy that's like one an hour that's being fulfilled and he's riding in on a colt and, and that's one prophecy. And another one is that they were taking off their coats spontaneously and put, putting them in, in his path. And they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and then right in the middle of it all, Jesus stops and he gazes upon Jerusalem as he's coming down the Mount of Olives. We've, some of you have been there and, and it's a beautiful sight. And, and he weeps over Jerusalem. And it was his city that that he loved. And and in just seven days, some of those who said Hosanna would turn coat on him and yell, crucify him. And Jesus in that prayer said, I, I would that you would have identified the peace that is yours. But he said, you missed it. In, in my vernacular, I would say it would, he was living right under your noses for three years. But you missed the time. And this is what the Bible says, the time of your visitation. And here's what I've come to tell this church today. God is up to something big. God is up to something big. And this building's not big enough for it. The parking lot's not big enough for it. The United Pentecostal Church is not big enough for it. It's going to transcend all denominations. God is wanting to break in. And I'll tell you where he's going to break in. He's going to break in where people are tired of the same old, same old. He's going to break in where people are hungry. Amen. This only works on the hungry and the thirsty. Jesus said, he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, the same shall be filled. And I made up my mind. Amen. I want to break out because I want God to break in. I don't want to miss the time of my visitation. I don't want to miss the revival that God has for us. This is my passion. Somebody texted me this morning, one of our staff members, you may be seated, and said, Pastor, I'm going on a seven-day fast because I want to hear from God and I want to go to the next level. That's what I'm talking about. Why do we have to organize everything? Why do we have to institutionalize hunger? You really can't do it. We did our best. We read a book and we gathered and we prayed and we called it 40 Days of Fire. And some of you think, well, we got that done with for another eight or nine months. We'll wait till January comes back. I want to tell you something. God is wanting to break into this church and he wants to do what we have never seen. But we've got to break out. And I just now got to my message and my time is over. Somebody say five more minutes, Pastor. You give me five and I'll take five more. I only get to do this once a week. So I'm reading the book of Acts. And I saw something I'd never seen before. At one time I had almost the entire book memorized when I was about your age, Jackson. And I was a Bible quizzer. I was a very mediocre Bible quizzer. But you got to meet girls and, <laughs> and go on trips. And <laughs> now, you know, and I met her. The queen. <laughs> so I'm reading, I'm reading the book of Acts. And you know what hits me? I'm reading Acts chapter two and there were dwelling at Jerusalem. Jews, verse 5, Jews, devout men. These are the ones that were first filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not from Celebrate Recovery. They're not, I don't know how else to say it. They're not, they're sinners, but they're devout. Everybody say devout. That means they're religious. Devout means they could speak Hebrew. There was no language barrier on the day of Pentecost. Peter could preach in the Hebrew tongue and talk to everybody. Even though there's 17 different nations there. They're devout. Then I jump to Acts 8. And God sends Philip out to the desert to baptize a man from Ethiopia who has a high position in the nation. Second perhaps in command to Candace the queen. And 
He had went to Jerusalem to worship. He's religious. He has a faith. He's reaching for God. Chapter nine, you won't find a more religious man than Saul of Tarsus, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrew, blameless in the law, circumcised the eighth day. All this pedigree he unpacks for us in his writings. And he's, he's got letters to persecute the believers in Damascus and a light shines and knocks him down. And he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You got to think about this. His world is getting ready to be rocked. He can't stand Jesus. He hates Jesus. Jesus, he thinks, is a liar. He's a lunatic. He's an imposter. He's a fake. He's a wannabe. And he's taking all of the Jesus followers and he's murdering them. He's putting them in prison. He's got their blood on his hands and he's busting into Damascus. He's got authority. He's breathing out. I think of a fire breathing dragon. He's coming into Damascus and he's going to wreak havoc. And God says, not so fast, big boy. Boom. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Listen to this. He's religious. Saul is not a Trinitarian. He doesn't believe that there are three gods in one. He is a strict monotheistic believer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. One is Ekad. One, not, not one in purpose, not one in vision, not one in, in idea, not one in consciousness. One in one. Who are you, Lord? L-O-R-D. That's the Greek word kudios. Some call it, pronounce it kudios. Listen, there can only be one Lord. Who's king of kings. And he's trembling. The Bible says now he's trembling. And God says, I am Jesus. God breaks in. God's, I want the top theologian of the first century on my team. I, I want the most brilliant man. He's brilliant than any philosopher. He's brilliant. Listen, don't tell me that Pentecost is not for intellectuals. Don't tell me that the Holy Ghost is not for people who have a PhD and more degrees than a thermometer. It's for all of us. Praise God. But don't you discount what God wants to do because of your education. You couldn't get a better or higher or greater education than what Saul did. But God said, I'm turning that education into an apostolic anointing. I'm going to set this man up before kings. He can talk to paupers. He can talk to presidents. He's going to walk in there. And when Saul broke out, God broke in and changed his life. He was religious. Chapter 10. If you don't think Cornelius was religious, he's devout. He fears God with all his house. He gives alms to the people. He prays to God always. He's religious. Acts chapter 18. We've got Apollos who's fervent in the scriptures. He's mighty in word and deed. He's fervent in the spirit. And Aquila and Priscilla hear him and they take him aside and said, Apollos, there's a little bit more for you to learn. Am I preaching to somebody here today who feels like most religions? You sort of drew a circle around your little comfort zone and said, I'm okay the way I, I am. I've got my little beliefs and I, I like this favorite part of the scripture. I'm here to tell you, my friend, amen, that's a spirit of religion. But if you will break out of that, God will break in on the authority of the word of God. And I tell you what I believe is going on in this world right now. Does God want to save the drunks? Yes. Does God want to save the drug addicts? Yes. Does God want to save the street walkers? Yes. But I'll tell you what the Spirit is saying to me. God is breaking into Christianity. He's breaking into religions. He's breaking into pastors that are tired of religion and they want a move of God. Everybody stand. I want you to stand and clap your hands like you believe what I just preached. 
<laughs> He's breaking in. He's breaking in. He's breaking in. He's breaking in. He wants to break in here. If he can't break in here, where's he going to break in? Come on. You want to be a part of this? This is the way it works. God said, if you will, I will. Hallelujah, Brother Quatnor, he's breaking into South Sudan. He's breaking into the Middle East, brother and sister Sherry. He's breaking into the natives and the, the, the population of our nation, Brother Reddy. God is breaking in with his hunger. There's a young man here today. I would say he probably calls the life church his church. He's here. He's going to a Christian university in town. About a month ago, he was right here. The spirit was moving. Tears were flowing down his cheeks. He came here baptized in the Holy Spirit. He didn't get the Holy Spirit here. He came here baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I straight up asked him. I named his denomination. I said, is God moving there like... Is there a move of God where you're coming from? He said, nothing like this, pastor. Now we could all pat ourselves on the back and say, by God, we got something that few other churches have. And I've been guilty of preaching that. But that's not really what it's about. What God wants to do. Hallelujah. And I'm not saying we're the know-it-all and we're the end-all. Hallelujah. But I want to facilitate what God wants to do. I want what's happening here to happen over there and to happen over there and to happen over there. I want a revelation of the mighty God of Christ Jesus to fall. If Jesus can break into the greatest theologian of the first century, why can't he break in wherever there's hunger? My vision is to not get everybody to come to the life church. My vision is connect with people and see God fill them with the Holy Ghost in your connect group or wherever he wants to do it or right here at this altar. Amen. And if we can disciple them, fine. But if they want to go back to their church, I'm happy about that. If they know who Jesus is, if they've obeyed the gospel, maybe God can let them start a fire. Maybe they can be a match. Maybe they can be kindling. Hallelujah. I want to see Kansas City like firebrands on fire, like, like Samson's 300 foxes. I want to see, hallelujah, 300 churches of revelation. He say, where did you get that? The Bible. Acts chapter six is our prophetic permission to pray revelation on every church where there's a Bible open. The Bible says in a great company of priests, religious people were obedient to the faith. God had something more. If there's anybody here today from another church, please don't misunderstand. I'm not bashing. This church knows I don't bash. I don't call out names. I haven't called out one name. But there's TV preachers right now. Revelation is breaking in. There's mega church pastors. If they will get honest. Amen. Revelation is breaking in. I know what I'm talking about because the spirit is saying it. And we have the prophetic underlinement and the, and the, and the foundation in the book of Acts. Religious people need Jesus too. Religious people need to obey the gospel too. Hallelujah. When you're driving this week, why don't you, instead of a drive-by shoot, why don't you do a drive-by prayer and point your finger at a church and say, in the name of Jesus, I command the fire to fall. In the name of Jesus, I command a revelation to come down. In the name of Jesus, meet that pastor and his wife and let the Holy Spirit fall.
Is there anybody here today that needs, needs God to break in for you? Do you need him to break in your life right now? Why don't you just break out? Why don't you break out so that God can break in? Come on, somebody get up here right now and break out. Somebody lift your hands right now and break out. Somebody walk away from sin and break out. Somebody get tired of your little comfort zone and break out. Come on, kids. You've got religious friends at school. You don't have to take a back seat to any of them. God wants to break in. Come on. Come on, if you've got the Holy Spirit, lift your hands. It's a missionary spirit. It's a go get them spirit. It's a go tell them spirit. Come on, if we don't pray, who's going to pray? Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. I see a church rising up right now who realizes the church is not the building. That's it, my brothers. That's it, my sisters. Hallelujah. We're going to go make disciples of all nations. Come on, something's starting to happen right now. Come on, something's starting to happen in you right now. Come on, let it break in. Get the world out of your spirit. Get the world out of your heart. Get the world out of your mind. Shake yourself. Break out. That's it. Come on, that's it. Break out. Come on, share your faith. Tell your story. Break out. And see what God will do. God's going to break in. <laughs> oh, Lord, we want you to show up in this house right now. Come on, something moving right now, right now. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be open. Hallelujah, that's you breaking out, and that's God breaking in. Let him break into your depression. Let him break into your sorrow. Let him break into your sadness. Let him break into your carnality. Let him break into your finances. Let him break into your home. Let him break into your marriage. Come on. If you'll break out right now. Are you tired of being religious only? Uh, God's got an encounter for you. What about your road to Damascus? What about your revelation? <laughs> oh Lord, God, let the Holy Spirit break into religion. Let the Holy Spirit break into denomination. Let the Holy Spirit, God, fall indiscriminately. Lord God, among the Baptists, Lord, among the Lutherans, Lord, among the Catholics, Lord, among the Seventh-day Adventists, Lord, let the Holy Spirit fall among the Amish, Lord, and upon the Jehovah's Witnesses, oh God, and among the non-denominationalism, Lord God, let the Holy Spirit break in. <laughs> oh yes come on we're having a prayer meeting right now Oh, come on, the life church. If we don't pray, who's going to pray? If we don't break through, who's going to break through? We got to live this revelation. We got to love this revelation. We got to obey this revelation. 
Lord, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The rain falls, Lord, on the spiritual and on the religious. The rain falls on the saint and the sinner. Let it fall. Come on, somebody start praying for your neighbors right now. Start praying for the church in your neighborhood. Call it by name. Hallelujah. Lord, let there be a breaking into the Holy Spirit and the LDS and the RLDS and the community of Christ. Let there be a breaking into the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, we got some intercessors in this house. We got prayer warriors in this house. We got visionaries in this house. We got believers in this house. We got people that have encountered. Somebody pray over the denomination you came out of. Somebody pray over the organization you came out of, the Pentecost. Say, God, send the fire to my nation. Send the fire to Jamaica. Lord, send the fire, Lord, to the Middle East. Send the fire, oh God, to the Native Americans. Glory. Hallelujah. Oh, I love a good old prayer meeting. I love a good old prayer meeting. Come on, mom and dad, lay your hand on your kids. Say, God, break into my children. Break into the next generation. Let them get it. Let them feel it. Let them know it's real. Let them have revelation. Let them know who Jesus is. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.